0: Where's Ella at? Come on up, Ella. Thank you for that smattering of applause for my arrival. This is uh, Ella Goodwin, and she's going to read our scripture. Would you mind standing while we read this scripture together?
1: Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what my king had said to me. They replied, Let us start building. So they began this good work. Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain.
0: Thank you, Eli. morning church what a blessing to be together with you today so glad you're here we uh, welcome to our simulcast audience we uh, are always appreciative uh, that you're tuning in I know there's a lot more of you tuning in we appreciate that as well uh, a couple of things I want to mention um, be sure and sign up for that daddy daughter banquet that's coming up this Saturday if you've been on the fence about it just go ahead and cross over uh, and take your daughters you'll enjoy it and so will they also, uh, we're working on some, uh, some really great, uh, events, uh, and a lot of weekly things we're gonna do for the Passion Week, uh, for Good Friday all the way through Easter Sunday. So be praying about that. You'll hear more about that, uh, in the coming, uh, coming weeks. And also, the Langhoffers, uh, next Sunday will be their last Sunday, sadly, for us, uh, but we wanna send them off. So next week they're gonna be here. We're gonna have them up front. They're gonna have an opportunity on the foyer to say goodbye and, uh, have some hugs and cries, I'm sure. Uh, but we love you guys so deeply. Uh, I'm looking forward to next Sunday. Uh, it, this was our marriage uh, refresh uh, weekend, and it was uh, fantastic. We kind of kicked it off last Sunday uh, with Tommy's amazing uh, sermon. And, uh, I, you know, I felt like, show that picture. I felt like since we saw Tommy's picture, and now today we saw Gr- a little bit of Grant's picture, that we needed to make a comparison. Let me show you my wedding picture as well. It was quite the soiree. Um, you can tell Lisa's family seems so thrilled that I was entering into the family, all smiles and hugs In their defense. I only had, I only gave them a week to think about it. Um, kind of Phil esque on that move. And you know I look at this like little thin guy that I used to be, you know, back there when I was 19 years old and I. I wonder what happened. I feel like I swallowed that guy, you know, at some point along the way. And uh, I think the next picture will explain it. Show this one right here. This is how it starts. They start shoveling it in, right? Next thing you know, you're 55. You know, you got, we're talking about vest, And you get what my mentor, Carl Allison, called the furniture disease. For you young guys, that's when your chest falls in your drawers. Just so you know, it's coming. (laughs) but that's okay. Um, it happens. It's, it's life. It's part of the cycle. Now I have to say there was a, Tommy showed a picture last week. Show that next picture. It really disturbed me. Um, (laughs) you know, was he just wide eye excited? Was he, what was he doing? You know, and, and it really bothered me because it reminded me of somebody. And you know how it is when you get this in your mind, you just, you know, it's somebody and you can't figure out who it is. And about halfway through the week, it hit me like a thunderbolt. Show that next picture. And so there you go. Um, You know, Tommy, don't worry. We all have a twin somewhere, right? So thank you, Tommy, for the great job you did last week. Appreciate that. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation uh, about a legacy of love today. Uh, we talked about, last week Tommy talked about building a legacy, and today it's kind of a little bit of a shift, and we're talking about rebuilding uh, a legacy of love. Because sometimes, let's face it, uh, we just mess up and we blow it uh, in our relationships, in our marriage, sometimes just in our personal walk uh, as a son or daughter of the Almighty. I remember an illustration that Zach, when he was here, Zach Dasher, my cousin, he was uh, teaching or preaching one time. And he talked about how easy or how difficult it is to build something, but how easy it is for it to be torn down. And he used an illustration of his sons. And I can't remember if it was Max to Bear or Bear to Fred, but they're all destructive, so it doesn't really matter. And uh, but the older one had gotten this you know, Lego set. And he gone in and spent the whole day, closed the door, locked it, and just built this whole city of Legos. Just went all day working on it. And he opened the door to go out to get Zach and Jill to come see it. And in the time he went to get them and they got back, the younger brother had just totally destroyed the whole work of the day. And I remember him making the point, that's what it's like for the evil one to come in and destroy so quickly and so massively. After you build and you work and you try and you're praying and you're saying, you know, help our relationship to be better. We have a video today of a couple uh, that experienced this very thing. So guys, if you will, let's show that video.
2: I was broken. I was a mess. I felt like I couldn't get any lower than what I was feeling at the moment after I come clean with saying that I'd had an affair I'd cheated on my husband and been unfaithful how do do you fix something like that how do you fix a marriage that's just been destroyed to nothing is there even anything left to be fixed because what we had before it wasn't it wasn't good we weren't in a good place and now I just made it worse if it could have gotten any worse than it was I needed hope. I needed help. I needed healing. I, I didn't know what to do except for turn to someone else who knew what to do and who to point me to. And of course, that was, that was Jesus. And so I just decided then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dive into knowing who he really is. Because at this point in my life, I knew a lot about Christ, but I didn't know him. And that's what I came to realize, was that I needed to know who Jesus was. And it was way more than showing up every Sunday morning and sitting on a pew.
1: And so for me, uh, during this time, I was uh, just full of anger and uh, bitterness and putting all the blame on Anna and not really want to look at my own own sin and uh, just kind of hiding and... um, what Anna's not telling you is that um, I was heavily involved with uh, pornography and I brought her into that and uh, didn't stop there. Uh, we brought it into our sex life and we brought other people uh, into our marriage and so to say it was a mess is an understatement. It was uh, a train wreck. And, uh, but God uh, began to heal Anna and uh, started to turn her life around.
2: Yeah, there was months it was hard. It was a uh... Some of our darkest, my darkest personal nights were throughout the next few months going through trying to heal what what we we messed up ourselves um, and allowing God to change me, being willing to look inside and say, wow, yeah, that, that's got to go, that's got to change. And I've got to allow God to do that. And the whole time, I couldn't fix Trey at all. I couldn't blame it on him. I had so much of my own that needed fixing and healing, I didn't need to borrow any from Trey at all, and so I I dove into reading God's word every day, and allowing it to actually read me and show me who who was it that He actually intended me to be all along. How do we rebuild this? How do we fix this? And it started with me, just individually, which then turned to our marriage being affected.
1: Yeah, and so I, I can remember a time where um, Anna and I were in this this horrible place in our marriage and actually living on opposite ends of the house and i can see her in the living room she's uh, got her bible open she's you know asking god what to do and and how to be a godly woman and she's working on herself and i'm i'm still not working on myself and i I see her in there and i go in there with the intention of starting a fight with her but um, what i noticed is she didn't respond back and she's she was kind and I thought, well, that is so unlike you, and uh, it really impacted me, but for for months, I continued to, to blame everything on Anna and, and and put it all on her until she finally uh, left, not to leave the marriage, but she left, and the good thing was, when she left, the only person I had left to focus on uh, was was me, which is where it needed to be all along, and so God really began to kind of speak to me uh, during this time. and. And uh, he reminded me against you, and you only have I sinned. And uh, my, the problem that I had wasn't against me and Anna. it was with with my with with God. And uh, so he began to remind me of these things, and, and brought me to a place of um, brokenness and, and vulnerability. He brought me to my knees, and re- he reminded me that you can't outsend me. Like you, everything that you've done, um, um, everything that you've done, first and foremost. Uh, was against me. But I love you that much. I can forgive you. Uh, I do forgive you. And uh, my grace is sufficient. And so that really changed my life uh, from, you know, my, my past of my history with pornography and sexual sin. Of You know, I had periods where I was uh, pure and periods where I was clean. Uh, but it never really um, changed my life until I really internalized God's grace. And that uh, really changed my life um, forever
2: so once we're both looking at ourselves Trey's working on himself i'm I'm working on me and we're working on our relationship with Christ, obviously our relationship got better things changed between us and healing and forgiveness was truly able to be extended to one another um, and that process began and it's amazing what God does when you're both broken and both being willing to forgive and accept God's grace. And the cool thing is, what happened next was beyond our wildest dreams ever. Um, I don't know if we ever dreamed about it, but other couples would start coming and asking for help. Usually, ones that had been in an affair. Like, how do how do you put this back together? How does this work after so much damage? And Basically, all we did was share with them the way God walked with us and what he taught us through our mess. And eventually, one of the elders were like, I think y'all need to get some training, some kind of formal training on how to, you know, how to help couples through this. And so that's what we began to do. We began looking for ways to equip ourselves to help others. And then here comes reengage. You find that. And now... The fact that our elders and church leadership have asked us to lead a marriage ministry, like, it's it's crazy what God can do, because we, are, we were not the poster kids for marriage. That is for sure.
1: Yeah, I can remember one of the things that uh, I remember saying to God during um, our darkest time was that, God, if you will heal this, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll tell anybody. And I think sometimes you be careful what you say, because... <laughs> that's exactly what he did and and uh he just took that two broken people and uh, just turned it into something that we never dreamed of or imagined and and so now uh, we you know we had no desire whatsoever to be marriage ministers and it just goes to show you uh, when you trust god and and uh just get to a place where he can use you that he he will
0: I love that couple um, to see their humility uh, now and what they're doing and helping couples. We talked yesterday about pouring in, what the God pours in that we now pour out. Uh, and that's what we see. And, and what a blessing you were able to sing that song about changing who you were to who you are. Thank you, guys. Uh, and that's reengage every Thursday night uh, at 630 for anybody who wants to check that out. So last week, Tommy talked about denying ourselves, being that first step on building the legacy. And then the next step, which becomes easier once you do that, to love fully. And then finally, to serve completely. You serve your spouse. You serve other people. Today, those are simple steps. But simple doesn't mean easy. See, that's the thing. It's simple. We understand that. But we all know it's difficult. It's like losing weight, right? Eat less, move more. Well, that sounds simple. Yeah, right? (laughs) Simple doesn't mean easy. And so today I want to continue that same idea when we talk about rebuilding. Well, maybe things fall apart. Maybe it took whatever it took to get you to the broken place. So what do we do then? And so I've got four terms. And once again, they're simple, but they're certainly not easy. The first one is one of my favorite Bible words. It's a good Bible word. Repent. I love it in the old days when they would say repent. You know, you've got to get that preacher voice. Repent. Yeah. Every one of ye. What if I just started preaching like that? You all You wouldn't like it. Um, repent. It's a great Bible word. And it's simple. And it, and it lays out and it's all over the Bible. Here's the English definition of it. To feel regret or remorse, there's a first stage of repentance. You have to feel something. You have to finally get to that point where you're like, you know what, I regret this, I'm having remorse. But that's not repentance. That's just the first half. You feel regret or remorse and you commit to change. See, repentance is a two-part word. I feel something, now I'm going to what? do something. So it's both. It takes the feeling. It takes that part of me. It takes my conscience to be pricked. And then it takes action to do something. It's like the old Seinfeld belt. It's one of my favorites. When he said, you know, he makes a car reservation. And so he goes down to get the car and they say, well, sir, we don't have any cars. And Seinfeld said, but I reserved a car. And they said, yeah, but we don't have any. And he was like, but isn't that the point of the reservation? I reserve the car. When I come, you have the car. See, anybody can just make reservations. But the holding, the action, that's where it's at. And that's exactly what repentance is. It's making a decision, but it's then following up by doing something about it. Here's the way Paul would say it in Acts twenty six twenty: I preached that they should repent and turn to God. That's that idea. God, I'm going to turn to you. That's that moment. And prove their repentance by their deeds. That means they did something. I thought it. I made the mental commitment. And now I'm going to do something about it. That's the only way we can rebuild. You know, it's interesting because the gospel does so much for us, does it not? What Christ did. When a person embraces and obeys the gospel of Christ, and that means... Who Christ is, that means what Christ did, that means what Christ does, that means what he will do. They repent and commit to follow him. That's the ultimate first act of repentance, which changes everything. We receive forgiveness of sin. And by the way, that's past, present, and future sin, which is awesome. That's the power of the blood of Christ. We receive hope and promise of a resurrected body because Jesus himself was resurrected. So we know we have that hope and a promise. It will happen to you. In fact, the Bible tells us that we receive the promise of eternal life in our resurrected bodies. When he comes back one day in the great resurrection. See that, man, look at what all the gospel does for us. But there's one element of the gospel which shows you its limitation in terms of us, and that is that we are weak, that we still sin as Christians, that even though we work hard to build up and we repent and we change our lives and we're trying to do the right things, and if some of those old things just come back and we're weak and we fall, and sometimes we fall so hard, it devastates everything around us, our families and our relationships. The reason Jesus went back to heaven has very thought about it? Wouldn't it be great if he had just stayed? Like, he's here, we know he's a risen Lord. Like, until the time ends, just stay here, Lord. We'll follow you. You can just beam into our churches every Sunday and preach all the sermons and we'll do whatever you tell us to do. But he said it's better for you if I leave. And there's some reasons why. He went to the right hand of the father to mediate for our weaknesses. First Timothy two, five, he went to the right hand of the father to advocate and defend us in our weaknesses. First John two, he went back to the right hand of the father to embody perfection in heaven for his imperfect brothers and sisters. Hebrews 12, one and two, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what he's doing for you and me this morning. You see, our limitations, our weaknesses flow to him. And he's waiting on that day when he'll come back. That's why Jesus said when he went back, he told the disciples, he went back to the father so that he could send his Holy Spirit to indwell his followers on earth. Why would he do that? To guide and counsel in weakness. John 14 through 16. To represent a deposit guaranteeing our future glory despite our weaknesses. I mean, I don't know about you, but you're living that day by day. And you're thinking, how do I get through another day? And remember, you've got the Holy Spirit deposited in you that says you will live forever. That ought to lift you out of any funk. If you believe. Ephesians 1, 13, 14. He said the Holy Spirit is in us to bear fruit. If we don't grieve him and allow him to bear that fruit in our weaknesses, he leads. We follow Galatians five twenty-two. Paul put it succinctly and beautifully in second Corinthians 12, nine and 10. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness for when I'm weak, then I'm what strong. And it's not your strength. You're strong only because Christ is strong. See, that's that element of the gospel that's so important. And that's the important part of repentance. We have to live that repentance, which means we have to realize our weakness. So every day we deny ourselves, as Tommy said last week, and we say, you know what, Lord? I got a tendency to do this, but your Holy Spirit, I'm praying to you today that you help me not do that. And I want to do something different. I want to be somebody different. I want to act differently. And I don't want to change. How many spouses pray, oh, if they could just change? And yet, out of weakness and sin, it's difficult to not trust. Hillary Clinton was right. Bet you thought I'd never say that, didn't you? <laughs> we're all deplorables, including her. On our own, we're nothing. We are cleansed only by Christ. We have hope only because of Christ. We have life that's abundant only because of Christ. And that's what it takes to rebuild. You got to start with that building block. I've made a decision and I'm going to act and I'm going to do. The second step that I have for you today is another easy word. Oh, but it's so hard release after release you know my mom is we dad says she's not a hoarder but she has hoarding tendencies (laughs) she doesn't like to get rid of stuff so she just keeps renting storage units and building buildings or finding places on the property for stuff god help whoever has to look through it when she's gone it won't be me i can tell you that (laughs) it's hard to release Man, stuff we care about, stuff we just don't want to give away, stuff that means something to us, it's also hard to release pain and hurt and sinful tendencies. Because some of us, that's been part of our life for so long, that's all we know. We know it's not healthy. We can't give it up. The only way we can release, I believe, is through forgiveness. First of all, from God. Let's face it. When we have trouble believing that we can get past something, I hear people tell me all the time, "I just can't forgive myself." Then I always say, "Well, then you're having a trouble. You're having trouble with your faith, because what you're saying is that our God is not big enough to release you from this hurt, and He is. That's what He does. So it's not a forgiveness issue. It's a faith issue in that moment. Is God big enough? And I'm here to tell you this morning, He is. He said, I can take it all. Jesus said on the cross, I can take it all and I offer it back. And so when we receive that, now we have the capacity to do what? Forgive others. That's what gives us that. But I get it. If you don't understand that first forgiveness from God, it's going to be very difficult for you to then be able to forgive others or to embrace it yourself or maybe a family member that's hurt you. Long-standing battle. Oh, i got stories. Everybody has them. And yet forgiveness becomes the first step to release. Whether it be sin, hurt, pain, consequences, or the control of the evil one. Through all the ways that he likes to control us. Whenever we wrote our book, Desperate Forgiveness, which is our latest book. In it we told stories, stories from the Bible about great stories of forgiveness and people releasing things to God, stories about people who had real deep trouble releasing. And then we told other stories, people we knew, people we'd worked with, Anna and Trey allowed us to tell part of their story that said, "You can release." When we first started, um, first time we got the books in and we went to our first event, so I like to come up with a different verse to sign in my books. You know, and so something that's really meaningful to me from the text that kind of goes along with this. And so I loved Luke 747. And I thought, well, that'll be easy for me to remember because you know, you're in a book line, you're signing books. And so Luke 747. Well, for some reason, the first like three events that we did when we were selling books, I was writing John 747 instead of Luke 747. And then I don't know what made me think about it. It wasn't at a book signing. It was just, you know, we were at Randy John house. We were talking about marriage and it just hit me. I was like, oh no. I've been signing the wrong verse in my books. And Randy and Junior were like, what? Where'd that come from? I said, it just came in my mind. Like Emmanuel you know, squirrel. And so it just popped in there. <laughs> and so then it hit me. I thought, well, is there a John 747? Because, you know, I don't even know how many verses. I don't know the verse right off the bat. So I look it up right quick. And here was the verse that I signed in the first 300 books. Has he deceived you as well? Retorted the Pharisees. First of all, I didn't even know retorted was in the New Testament. And then I thought about some person says, oh, I'm going to look up this verse. And they're like, what did he mean by this? Well, so I I don't do that anymore. But here's what the verse says. And this is, remember the setting, Luke seven. There's a woman there in a setting that Simon, the Pharisee has invited Jesus into And she just comes in broken. I mean, we don't know what got her to that place, but it's evident when you read that text, like she has got nothing left. She is at that place of repentance that I talked about. She has made her decision and she is acting on it. And she's only got one possession that we know of and it's an expensive jar of perfume and she comes in and she's just weeping. On Jesus' dirty feet and wiping them with her hair and pouring the perfume. And it's just like, and this guy, Simon, who's sitting there, I mean, he's the Pharisee. It's his house. It's obscene. I mean, and he has this thought or says to himself, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who was doing this. This woman of ill repute. It was obvious. She had a reputation. Jesus looks over at Simon, gives him a little parable. And then he gives him a little rebuke. About what Simon should have provided as a host. But instead he's sitting there with his judgmental heart thinking never. While wow, this woman continues to cry. And here's what he says in Luke 7:47. This is why I love this passage and it really shows you about release. Therefore I tell you talking to Simon her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. Jesus said, look at this love that she's pouring out, this submission to me. But he who has been forgiven little, you, he didn't say you, but that's what he meant. You're sitting there all pompous. Invite me in to have a big show with all your friends. I got the rabbi over. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. Do you see how that works? The more I embrace the forgiveness of God, the more I'm willing to pour it out and love other people. The less I receive it, the less I give. And let's face it, we've all either been that person or we know that person. Everything's pompous. We never get down to the realities of life. Then Jesus said to her the magic words, your sins are forgiven. That's what we all want to hear, right? Not just from the Lord. From my spouse, from someone I've harmed, from my child, for someone that I've taken advantage of, release. You have to give it up. You hold it. It's toxic. You release it, and here's what's going to happen. Not only are you forgiven, but you're going to be so full of love, you're going to pour it out to everybody you know. That was the story we saw on the screen today. Toxic. But now, an ability to triumph. That's what God does. Number three is remember. Remember. Now, most people say we're supposed to forgive and what? Forget. That's the saying, right? I'm telling you, it's really forgive and remember. You say, now, wait a minute. What are you talking about, preacher? Because uh, I know there's two places in Hebrews... Or the Bible says, God says, I will forgive them their sins and what? Remember them no more. So, well, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, two things. One is we ain't God. Well, okay, I get that. And we ain't forgetting. Now, I step on someone's foot in the elevator. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, no worries. I walk away. I can forget that. And so can they. I pull in front of somebody, well, eh, what are you doing? I'm so sorry. That's okay. You know, we're on our way. I, for, I forgot. But you got a big old 800-pound sin that destroys your family and wipes out the life you knew? You ain't forgetting that. It ain't happening. You'll always remember. The question is, what will you do with the memory? For years, after Lisa and I were put back together by the Almighty, we began to pour out our love to help other people, just like the Tomlinsons have done, and others. And every once in a while, you know, it would just be a moment, and it would be hard, and Lisa would know it was hard, because we've been talking about hard things. And she would say, I'm so sorry I hurt you. And, you know, just humility. I loved it. Because see, she remembered, I remembered, how do I respond? I made a vow to Lisa when we got back together that I would never use her sin or my sin or our sin against us as we move forward. I'm standing here 21 years later, I've held the vow. And the reason why is because I choose to remember why I forgave her. And it was by the power of God and his forgiveness to me. So, therefore, when she would say, I'm so sorry I hurt you, I would say, Will you remember why I forgave you? And that, we've done that for 21 years. Still. Because we'll never forget the hurt, but we'll always glory in the healing, in the ability to help someone else and to pour out love. God pours in us to pour out. But only if we remember. Why? Just like every Sunday, we just took communion. Why? To remember. What Christ did for us. We don't want to forget that. The cost it took. I want to remember that every single second of my life. And the last word is report. We report and others decide. It's a powerful testimony to stand before people and say, you know what? I am weak, but he is strong. I heard it all day. Yesterday from changed lives, tragedies that turn to triumph. And it's up to us to tell that I've said for years, do not be stingy with the victories of God because he's done great things. And we should want other people to know about the great things. This morning, Kenny came running up. He said, look, here's my five year chip. Praise the Lord. That's triumph. That's what God is doing in this brother's life. He wanted to tell me about it. You keep telling, Kenny. Anybody that will listen. Revelation 12, 11 says they, the brothers and sisters, overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb. It starts with Christ. Everything points to him. And by the word of their testimony, they saw it happen. And they were willing to tell others. And you know what? Two thousand years later, here we are. Still talking about transformed lives that came about because the disciples told us about what Jesus did for them and for us. That's how we overcome the evil one. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Even if you tell them the story means your death, all glory because you're going to heaven. We cower and worry because of persecution that's now going on in our culture. I say, if that's what you're going to do, bring it on because we know eternal life. And we won't stop telling the story. And that's not just in church. That's anywhere. That's out there where people live. Jason, and Dad, and I do a podcast, Unashamed. And we talk about the Bible. And we talk about what God has done in our lives. Hundreds of thousands of people are tuning in. And they're saying, we want to change. That's what we do. We report on what God has done in us. So today... The challenge for you is where are you at on the on the process are you at that place where your conscience maybe has been pricked by something recently and you think, you know what, I need to make a change. We saw our brother do it last week. And by the way, that brother is now going through the process of repentance by living it, by changing. That's what we do when he can release some of the stuff the evil one has had over him. Oh, man, there's going to be great victory. And he's going to remember. And today you have that opportunity as well. If you have a need at all, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing.